Chapters 9 through 11 of Irenaeus Against Heresies, Book 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Irenaeus Against Heresies, Book 1. Translated by Alexander Roberts and W. H. Rombo. Chapter 9 refutation of the impious interpretations of these heretics one you see my friend the method which these men employ to deceive themselves while they abuse the scriptures by endeavouring to support their own system out of them for this reason i have brought forward their modes of expressing themselves that thus thou mightest understand the deceitfulness of their procedure and the wickedness of their error for in the first place if it had been john's intention to set forth that ogdoad above he would surely have preserved the order of its production and would doubtless have placed the primary tetrad first as being according to them most venerable and would then have annexed the second that by the sequence of the names the order of the ogdoad might be exhibited and not after so long an interval, as if forgetful for the moment, and then again calling the matter to mind, he, last of all, made mention of the primary tetrad. In the next place, if he had meant to indicate their conjunctions, he certainly would have omitted the name of Ecclesia, while, with respect to the other conjunctions, he either would have been satisfied with the mention of the male ions, since the others, like Ecclesia, might be understood, so as to preserve a uniformity throughout. Or, if he enumerated the conjunctions of the rest, he would also have announced the spouse of Anthropos, and would not have left us to find out her name by divination. 2. The fallacy, then, of this exposition is manifest. For when John, proclaiming one God, the Almighty, and one Jesus Christ, the only begotten, by whom all things were made, declares that this was the Son of God, this the only begotten, this the former of all things, this the true light who enlighteneth every man, this the creator of the world, this he that came to his own, this he that became flesh and dwelt among us. These men, by a plausible kind of exposition, perverting these statements, maintain that there was another monogenes, according to production, whom they also style Arche. They also maintain that there was another Saviour, and another Logos, the son of monogenes, and another Christ, produced for the re-establishment of the Pleroma. Thus it is that, resting from the truth every one of the expressions which have been cited and taking a bad advantage of the names they have transferred them to their own system so that according to them in all these terms john makes no mention of the lord jesus christ for if he has named the father and charis and monogenes and aletheia and logos and zoe and anthropos and ecclesia according to their hypothesis he has by thus speaking referred to the primary ogdoad in which there was as yet no jesus and no christ the teacher of john 
but that the apostle did not speak concerning their conjunctions but concerning our lord jesus christ whom he also acknowledges as the word of god he himself has made evident for summing up his statements respecting the word previously mentioned by him he further declares and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us but according to their hypothesis the word did not become flesh at all inasmuch as he never went outside of the pleroma but that saviour became flesh who was formed by a special dispensation out of all the ions and was of later date than the word three learn then ye foolish men that jesus who suffered for us and who dwelt among us is himself the word of god for if any other of the ions had become flesh for our salvation it would have been probable that the apostle spoke of another but if the word of the father who descended is the same also that ascended he namely the only begotten son of the only god who according to the good pleasure of the father became flesh for the sake of men the apostle certainly does not speak regarding any other or concerning any ogdoad but respecting our lord jesus christ for according to them the word did not originally become flesh for they maintain that the saviour assumed an animal body formed in accordance with a special dispensation by an unspeakable providence so as to become visible and palpable but flesh is that which was of old formed for adam by god out of the dust and it is this that john has declared the word of god became thus is their primary and first begotten ogdoad brought to naught for since logos and monogenes and zoe and phaus and sorer and christus and the son of god and he who became incarnate for us have been proved to be one and the same the ogdoad which they have built up at once falls to pieces and when this is destroyed their whole system sinks into ruin a system which they falsely dream into existence and thus inflict injury on the scriptures while they build up their own hypothesis four then again collecting a set of expressions and names scattered here and there in scripture they twist them as we have already said from a natural to a non-natural sense in so doing they act like those who bring forward any kind of hypothesis they fancy and then endeavor to support them out of the poems of homer so that the ignorant imagine that homer actually composed the verses bearing upon that hypothesis which has in fact been newly constructed and many others are led so far by the regularly formed sequence of verses as to doubt whether homer may not have composed them of this kind is the following passage where one describing hercules as having been sent by eurystheus to the dog in the infernal regions does so by means of these homeric verses for there can be no objection to our citing these by way of illustration since the same sort of attempt appears in both thus saying there sent forth from his house deeply groaning 
Odyssey, Book 10, Line 76. The hero Hercules conversant with mighty deeds. Odyssey, Book 21, Line 26. Eurystheus, the son of Sthenelus, descended from Perseus. Iliad, Book 19, Line 123. That he might bring from Erebus the dog of gloomy Pluto. Iliad, Book 8, Line 368. And he advanced like a mountain-bred lion confident of strength. Odyssey, Book 6, Line 130. Rapidly through the city where all his friends followed, Iliad, Book 24, Line 327. Both maidens and youths, and much enduring old men. Odyssey, Book 11, Line 38. Mourning for him bitterly as one going forward to death. Iliad, Book 24, Line 328. But Mercury and the blue-eyed Minerva conducted him. Odyssey, Book 11, 626. For she knew the mind of her brother, how it labored with grief. Iliad, Book 2, Line 409. Now, what simple-minded man, I ask, would not be led away by such verses as to think that Homer actually framed them so with reference to the subject indicated? But he who is acquainted with the Homeric writings will recognize these verses indeed, but not the subject to which they are applied, as knowing that some of them were spoken of Ulysses, others of Hercules himself, others still of Priam, and others again of Menelaus and Agamemnon. But if he takes them and restores each of them to its proper position, he at once destroys the narrative in question. In like manner, he also who retains unchangeable in his heart the rule of the truth which he received by means of baptism, will doubtless recognize the names and expressions and the parables taken from the scriptures, but will by no means acknowledge the blasphemous use which these men make of them. For though he will acknowledge the gems, he will certainly not receive the fox instead of the likeness of the king. But when he has restored every one of the expressions quoted to its proper position, and has fitted it to the body of the truth, he will lay bare, and prove to be without any foundation, the figment of these heretics. 5. But since what may prove a finishing stroke to this exhibition is wanting, so that any one, on following out their farce to the end, may then at once append an argument which shall overthrow it, we have judged it well to point out, first of all, in what respects the very fathers of this fable differ among themselves, as if they were inspired by different spirits of error. For this very fact forms an a priori proof that the truth proclaimed by the church is immovable, and that the theories of these men are but a tissue of falsehoods. Chapter 10. Unity of the Faith of the Church Throughout the Whole World 1. The Church, though dispersed through our whole world, even to the ends of the earth, has received from the apostles and their disciples this faith. She believes in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are in them, and in one Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who became incarnate for our salvation. 
and in the Holy Spirit, who proclaimed through the prophets the dispensations of God, and the advents, and the birth from a virgin, and the passion and the resurrection from the dead, and the ascension into heaven in the flesh of the beloved Christ Jesus, our Lord, and his future manifestation from heaven in the glory of the Father, to gather all things in one, and to raise up anew all flesh of the whole human race, in order that to Christ Jesus, our Lord and God and Saviour and King, according to the will of the invisible Father, every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess, to him that he should execute just judgments towards all, that he may send spiritual wickednesses, and the angels who transgressed and became apostates, together with the ungodly and unrighteous, and wicked and profane among men, into everlasting fire, but may, in the exercise of his grace, confer immortality on the righteous and holy, and those who have kept his commandments, and have persevered in his love, some from the beginning of their Christian course, and others from the date of their repentance, and may surround them with everlasting glory. 2. As I have already observed, the Church, having received this preaching and this faith, although scattered throughout the whole world, yet, as if occupying but one house, carefully preserves it. She also believes these points of doctrine, just as if she had but one soul, and one and the same heart, and she proclaims them, and teaches them, and hands them down with perfect harmony, as if she possessed only one mouth. For although the languages of the world are dissimilar, yet the import of the tradition is one and the same. For the churches which have been planted in Germany do not believe or hand down anything different, nor do those in Spain, nor those in Gaul, nor those in the East, nor those in Egypt, nor those in Libya, nor those which have been established in the central regions of the world. But as the Son, that creature of God, is one and the same throughout the whole world, so also the preaching of the truth shineth everywhere, and enlightens all men that are willing to come to a knowledge of the truth. Nor will any one of the rulers in the churches, however highly gifted he may be in point of eloquence, teach doctrines different from these, for one is greater than the master. Nor, on the other hand, will he who is deficient in power of expression inflict injury on the tradition. For the faith, being ever one and the same, neither does one who is able at great length to discourse regarding it make any addition to it, nor does one who can say but little diminish it. 3. It does not follow because men are endowed with greater and less degrees of intelligence, that they should therefore change the subject matter of the faith itself and should conceive of some other god besides him who is the framer, maker, and preserver of this universe, as if he were not sufficient for them, or of another Christ, or another only begotten. But the fact referred to simply implies this, that one may, more accurately than another, bring out the meaning of those things which have been spoken in parables, 
and accommodate them to the general scheme of the faith, and explain with special clearness the operation and dispensation of God connected with human salvation, and show that God manifested long-suffering in regard to the apostasy of the angels who transgressed, as also with respect to the disobedience of men, and set forth why it is that one and the same God has made some things temporal and some eternal, some heavenly and others earthly, and understand for what reason God, though invisible, manifested himself to the prophets, not under one form, but differently to different individuals, and show why it was that more covenants than one were given to mankind, and teach what was the special character of each of these covenants, and search out for what reason God hath included every man in unbelief, that he may have mercy upon all, and gratefully describe on what account the word of God became flesh and suffered, and relate why the advent of the Son of God took place in these last times, that is, in the end, rather than in the beginning of the world, and unfold what is contained in the scriptures concerning the end itself, and things to come, and not be silent as to how it is that God has made the Gentiles, whose salvation was despaired of, fellow heirs, and of the same body and partakers with the saints, and discourse how it is that this mortal body shall put on immortality, and this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and proclaim in what sense God says, That is a people who was not a people, and she is beloved who was not beloved. And in what sense he says that, More are the children of her that was desolate than of her who possessed a husband. For in reference to these points, and others of a like nature, the apostle exclaims, O oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and his ways past finding out! But the superior skill spoken of is not found in this, that any one should, beyond the creator and framer of the world, conceive of the enthymeses of an erring ion, their mother and his, and should thus proceed to such a pitch of blasphemy, nor does it consist in this that he should again falsely imagine as being above this fancied being a pleroma at one time supposed to contain thirty and at another time an innumerable tribe of ions as these teachers who are destitute of truly divine wisdom maintain while the catholic church possesses one and the same faith throughout the whole world as we have already said chapter eleven the opinions of Valentinus and those of his disciples and others. 1. Let us now look at the inconsistent opinions of those heretics, for there are some two or three of them, how they do not agree in treating the same points, but alike, in things and names, set forth opinions mutually discordant. The first of them, Valentinus, who adapted the principles of the heresy called Gnostic to the peculiar character of his own school, taught as follows he maintained that there is a certain dyad or twofold being who is inexpressible by any name of whom one part should be called archytus or unspeakable and the other sigi 
or silence but of this dyad a second was produced one part of whom he names pater and the other aletheia from this tetrad again arose logos and zoe anthropos and ecclesia these constitute the primary ogdoad he next states that from logos and zoe ten powers were produced as we have before mentioned but from anthropos and ecclesia proceeded twelve one of which separating from the rest and falling from its original condition produced the rest of the universe he also supposed two beings of the name of horos and one of whom has his place between bythus and the rest of the pleroma and divides the created ions from the uncreated father while the other separates their mother from the pleroma christ also was not produced from the ions within the pleroma but was brought forth by the mother who had been excluded from it in virtue of her remembrance of better things but not without a kind of shadow he indeed as being masculine having severed the shadow from himself returned to the pleroma but his mother being left with the shadow and deprived of her spiritual substance brought forth another son namely the demiurge whom he also styles the supreme ruler of all those things which are subject to him he also asserts that along with the demiurge there was produced a left-hand power in which particular he agrees with those falsely called gnostics of whom we have yet to speak sometimes again he maintains that jesus was produced from him who was separated from their mother and united to the rest that is from thelitus sometimes as springing from him who returned into the pleroma that is from christ and at other times still as derived from anthropos and ecclesia and he declares that the holy spirit was produced by eletheia for the inspection and fructification of the ions by entering invisibly into them and that in this way the ions brought forth the plants of truth two secundus again affirms that the primary ogdoad consists of the right hand and a left hand tetrad and teaches that the one of these is called light and the other darkness but he maintains that the power which separated from the rest and fell away did not proceed directly from the thirty ions but from their fruits three there is another who is a renowned teacher among them and who struggling to reach something more sublime and to attain to a kind of higher knowledge has explained the primary tetrad as follows there is he says a certain proarche who existed before all things surpassing all thought speech and nomenclature whom i call menotes or unity together with this menotes there exists a power which again i term henotes or oneness this henotes and monotes being one produced yet not so as to bring forth apart from themselves as an emanation the beginning of all things an intelligent unbegotten and invisible being which beginning language terms monad with this monad 
there coexists a power of the same essence, which again I term hen, or one. These powers, then, monotes and henotes and monas and hen, produced the remaining company of the ions. 4. Ayu, ayu, feu, feu. For well we may utter these tragic exclamations at such a pitch of audacity in the coining of names as he has displayed without a blush in devising a nomenclature for his system of falsehoods. For when he declares, there is a certain proarche before all things surpassing all thought whom I call monotes, and again with this monotes there coexists a power which I also call henotes. It is most manifest that he confesses the things which have been said to be his own invention, and that he himself has given names to his scheme of things, which had never been previously suggested by any other. It is manifest also that he himself is the one who has had sufficient audacity to coin these names, so that, unless he had appeared in the world, the truth would still have been destitute of a name. But in that case, nothing hinders any other in dealing with the same subject to affix names after such a fashion as the following. There is a certain proarche, royal, surpassing all thought, a power existing before every other substance, and extended into space in every direction. But along with it, there exists a power which I term a gourd, and along with this gourd, there exists a power which again I term utter emptiness. This gourd and emptiness, since they are one, produced, and yet did not simply produced so as to be apart from themselves, produced a fruit, everywhere visible, eatable, and delicious, which fruit language calls a cucumber. Along with this cucumber exists a power of the same essence, which again I call melon. These powers, the gourd, utter emptiness, the cucumber, and the melon, brought forth the remaining multitude of the delirious melons of Valentinus. For if it is fitting that the language which is used respecting the universe be transformed to the primary tetrad, and if any one may assign names at his pleasure, who shall prevent us from adopting these names as being much more credible than the others, as well as in general use and understood by all? 5. Others still, however, have called their primary and first begotten Ogdoad by the following names. First, Proarche, then Anenoetos, thirdly, Arhetos, and fourthly, Eoratos. Then, from the first, Proarche, there was produced, in the first and fifth place, Arche. From Anenoetos, in the second and sixth place, Aceteleptos, from Arhetos, in the third and seventh place, Anonomastos, and from Aoratos, in the fourth and eighth place, Agonetos. This is the pleroma of the first Ogdoad. They maintain that these powers were anterior to Bythus and Sigi, that they may appear more perfect than the perfect, 
and more knowing than the very Gnostics. To these persons, one may justly exclaim, O oh, ye trifling sophists! Since, even respecting Bythus himself, there are among them many and discordant opinions. For some declare him to be without a consort, and neither male nor female, and, in fact, nothing at all, while others affirm him to be masculo-feminine, assigning to him the nature of a hermaphrodite. Others, again, allot Sigi to him as a spouse, that thus may be formed the first conjunction. End of Book 1, Chapters 9-11